0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, then I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 2. We looked at this last week. This will be part 2. We're dealing with the Antichrist. And I had to do some backstory on the Antichrist to kind of give you all the fuller picture of what John's talking about because he expects you and I to know what he's talking about when he cites certain verses and says certain things about the Antichrist. He wants us to bring in the knowledge of the Old Testament into what he is saying that has already spoken about the coming Antichrist. So we have to do a lot of unpacking. We are still going to do some unpacking today today as well to understand the scene in which we are being presented in Revelation chapter 6. The title of this message is When God Gives You What You Want, and again, this is part two. And the reason I titled this is because God is giving the world what it wants. It's currently giving the world what it wants, and it's turning the world over to sin, immorality, to false doctrine, and things like that. Well, the world is being set up for the Antichrist and the world is begging for a leader to get control of this world and get things in their worldview order. Not our worldview, obviously. A man of lawlessness and he's coming. Perhaps he's on the scene today. We don't know. We won't know, like I said last week, until you know we'll be raptured and then he'll be presented to the world. But nonetheless, if this text is for someone else and why are we studying it because we're raptured so a lot of it we won't know the antichrist we won't be revealed to who he is then who is it for what's for israel that's who it's for all this information about the antichrist is for israel so that israel can identify who the antichrist is so that they don't cut a deal with him but inevitably what we see in scriptures they will cut a deal with him they will make an alliance with the antichrist the son of satan And so this is the question that we all have to answer because we want to take our application from what Israel does and say, how did they do that? How could Israel in the future cut a deal with the devil, the devil's son nonetheless? How could they not see that? Because as you'll see, there are going to be warnings to Israel, don't do this. The Antichrist will be revealed prior to the tribulation. They have their Torah, the Old Testament. They can see what Daniel talks about. They see what all the prophets have talked about in warning about this guy. This guy gets the second most amount of scriptures dedicated to him in the Bible. is the Antichrist. And yet they still don't see it. So they hook up with a guy like this into a covenant, into a deal. And you and I have to answer this question... How come they didn't see this? Because they're going to get burned by it. Here's the fundamental question we have to answer then. If Israel can do this in a corporate way, what prevents you and I from doing this in our relationships? That's the lesson we got to take from this. When God gives you what you want, and you go for it, and you know you shouldn't do it, And you hook up with somebody, something, maybe a business partner, maybe it's someone you're dating, maybe it's a marriage partner, whoever. It could be that person, and everyone around you is going to say, hey, how come Sally doesn't see that this guy's a creep? Why does she keep dating this guy? Well, pastor, you know, you guys say he's a creep, but he's the most honest man I've ever met. Really? Really? How honest is he? Well, he's so honest, he even told me he murdered somebody. That's how honest he is. And I have never found a guy who's that honest. And yet, they won't see what he just told her, that he murdered somebody. So they'll just kind of overlook that. And you kind of figure out after a while and say, hey, you know, this game that you see Israel playing is played on the personal level with individual Christians. They get into deals they get into relationships with people they shouldn't be getting in relationships, and, you, and then they get burned by them, a boss or whatever. And you say, hey Manhattan, how come you didn't see this coming? And then on a more practical level, more geopolitical, a lot of Christians sell out for a politician. They think this guy's the new messiah, and, and, and some politician's going to save the world. No, no, no. And then that politician burns them and does something stupid. That's how this world is set up. It's to make you think you can trust people, but then eventually you put an inordinate amount of trust in somebody and they burn you. And you're like, man, I didn't settle for this. But yeah, it's it's happening. It's happening. On a global scale, the world is putting its faith and hope in anti-God things, and you know that. I don't have to tell you this. You know that there's a swamp in Washington, You know there's a swamp with the U.N. And let me tell you this, now that we're going to talk geopolitics because we have to talk about the Antichrist, everybody's putting their faith towards a global government. We talked about that last week. And the head of this global government will probably be the U.N., most likely. You have to understand, when you study the U.N., the U.N. is deep into New Age occultism, very deep into it. They contract out with a Luciferian type of company, and it's called Lucis Trust. They consult with them at least twice a week with the UN. Lucis Trust was, was put together by Alice Bailey, who was channeling a demon called the Tibetan. And this demon was telling her what the plan is for the 21st century, and what the new thing will be. And the new thing is we will usher in through certain world leaders, a quote-unquote new world order. When you hear that term, new world order, whether it was Bush that said it or anyone today that says it, that came out of the mouth of a demon called the Tibetan that Alice Bailey was channeling. But let me go a little bit further. You know, what's the connection between Alice Bailey and the U.N.? This Lucis Trust, which is short for Luciferian trust, is what started getting attached to the UN and started giving the philosophy of the UN and the way they're going to go about it this new world order. And this new world order would go about getting people on the page of globalism and, and, and they would do it through communism, Marxism, whatever you you know whatever crazy philosophy they have. And they would do it through the educational systems. That was the goal. That's what the demon was telling them to do. And, and hence, that's what, exactly what you see now. And if you go to Europe, it's really weird. I know Americans, we don't see this because we're in America, but in Europe, man, they love the UN. I mean, yeah, there's a fraction that doesn't like it and it's more nationalistic. But a lot of Europeans, especially the leadership, think they had died and went to heaven with the UN. They think they they know what they're doing, but it is an extremely satanic order that's eventually going to bring in and usher in this Antichrist that we talked about. So we see it on a personal level, putting faith in the wrong thing, and now we see it on a geopolitical level, people putting faith in this institution called the UN, but the UN eventually is going to usher in the Antichrist to rule the whole world. And we get to, we, you know, we're seeing the, the chess board start being put in place and the table getting set for that. But what God is trying to tell us and Israel and anyone else that will listen is, look, guys, I need you to put trust in me and me alone. Do not trust the media because it's fake news. They are not telling you the truth. In fact, you better have your antennas up when a so-called pastor says anything these days, too, a guy with the term "pastor" in front of his name is one of the most dangerous people today, because they're leading people astray into false doctrine and all kinds of things. So God is saying, "Trust me, trust my word, trust the right people, but don't give them them an inordinate amount of trust where you go blind in seeing them." but here's what we're going to do eventually we're going to get to the application but we got to go through the text first and we got to go through the theology first and then we'll come to the application but here's the question before we get in how is it that israel didn't see him how is it that when people talk to me and they talk to me about their relationships they virtually say the same thing I did not see that she or he was like this. I did not know my boss was like this. I did not know my in-laws were like this. I didn't know my spouse would turn out to be like this. I didn't know my coach was like this or my teacher was like this or my professor And they put stock into maybe a business partner and they do a business deal with somebody and he seems like a good guy or she seemed like a good guy, but they ended up stabbing me in the back. How come people don't see it? But yet everyone else around them can. We need to talk about that. That's where the rubber meets the road. The same reason that Israel doesn't see the Antichrist and is blind to him will be the same reason you and I are blind to certain people, and we don't see them for who they are. So let's go to the text. We'll talk about the text and get into this chapter, and uh, let's go to uh, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And again, we see the picture of the seals. And remember, there's six seals. This is the title deed to the earth. This is Man lost his title deed when he got tricked in the garden by Satan, and Satan usurped Adam, and Satan became the god of this world. Well, through the cross, as I talked about, Jesus has redeemed not only us, but he redeemed the whole cosmos. This is the title deed to planet Earth, and Jesus holds it because he's the God-man. He's the kinsman-redeemer. He bought it back for us, but for us to rule and reign with him and man to have his dominion back over the planet, which will happen in the millennial kingdom, Jesus has to expunge all the evil and sin of this world, and he's going to do it by breaking the seals that unleash the judgments on this planet. The first seal that he breaks, then, is the seal of the Antichrist to allow this man to come onto the scene. We talked last week about how he comes on the scene, but I'm going to take some in different directions today. And he goes, and I heard one of the four living creatures. You remember the four living creatures or the four cherubim that guard the throne? So one of these creatures comes to John and tells him what's behind this first seal. And he says this, saying in a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So what he sees is a picture of the Antichrist. We'll explain all the symbolism behind it, but this is the breaking of the first seal. Okay, so what's the backstory on this? What does John expect us to understand about this? Because it's just two verses, but like I said, there's so much information dedicated to the Antichrist, not only in the Old Testament and the New. We need to know the backstory because John simply just expects us to know it and and track with him. Well, we talked a bit about, about the backstory, but. To continue this, the first seal judgment, and this is the backstory, allows Israel to commence a seven-year peace treaty with the Antichrist, and this is found in Daniel 9.27. I'm going to just give you the passages because it takes too long to read them, but these are your references if you want to go back in your Old Testament and look at it. So the issue then, in order for the Antichrist to be on the scene... Guess what it presupposes? That Israel must be a nation again. So that's huge. So you and I have witnessed the reestablishment of Israel as a nation for its final refining. And again, I give you all these passages. If you want them, email me and I'll send them all to you and you can look them up. But basically what all of these passages talk about is that God is going to call Israel back out from being dispersed from all the nations, back into their own homeland, in order to judge them. Now, most people think, saying, well, that's that's pretty brutal. Well, why are they dispersed? It's simple, for the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin was Israel's rejection of the Messiah in the first century. So he destroyed their temple and scattered them for the last 2,000 years. But all the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, predicted he's not done with them. He's going to bring them back into the land in order to squeeze them, to put them in the vice grip so they will finally call out to Messiah and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus said it himself. Israel, you shall not see me again until when? until you learn to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the the point of the tribulation is to put them in that vice grip and squeeze them to where they will cry out for Jesus, their Messiah. That's the whole point. So that's why they come back in the land to be disciplined. They're going to be disciplined through the Antichrist. That's, That's the whole program that starts happening. Well, You and I are fortunate. No Christian generation until our century could have imagined that Israel would become a nation again. May 14th, 1948. This is the Palestinian post. state of Israel is born. That, my friends, is prophetically significant. Prophetically significant. On that day, Ben-Gurion made the proclamation that Israel would become a state again. And from then, then, they have been a thriving nation. They are now a first-rate nation in the entire world. Most of your medicines come from Israel. Most of the great inventions are now coming from Israel. Most of the Nobel Prizes are coming from Israel. They're geniuses, absolute geniuses. And they're in unbelief. Understand me, they're in unbelief, and they're still blessing the world. Amazing. They're on the brink of discovering a cure for cancer. I think they'll probably do it. Every farmer in the San Joaquin Valley can thank Israel because you know what they had to do when they came back into the land? Because there's a desert, they had to formulate a drip system. Now, they had been doing a drip system ancient times. They did it in pots. They would fill up pots that were sitting by the vines, and they would fill up the pots, and then the, the pot had a hole in it, and it would leak into the vine. They never flood irrigated, never. They always drip irrigated, and they did it with clay pots. Well, they get back in the land and say, what are we going to do to create you know, farmland, and we got to sustain ourselves? So they created a drip system feeding off the Jordan River. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So thank God for them. They, they bless us even today, even in unbelief. This was the land that was given to them. It was partitioned. The land is in green. That's what they control. the red areas are given to the Jordanian refugees, which is what they really are. No, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. They're Jordanian refugees. And the Arabs had told them to leave the land when Israel came back. And they said, we'll destroy Israel, so you don't have to worry about Israel. But then, then Israel succeeded and didn't fail. And so Israel said, you could come back, but then they don't want to live peacefully with Israel. And it's been an ongoing fight ever since. Okay. Enough said about that. So what you're seeing then is a prophetically significant situation. Okay. Well, then it presupposes some other things. It presupposes the retaking of the mountains of Israel in 1967. So for Ezekiel 38 and 39 to happen, Israel needed to take its its mountains back. And it did in 1967 in the Six-Day War. This is significant. These are the mountains of Israel on this. They call it the West Bank, but it's really Judea and Samaria area. These are the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel predicts that the Gog and Magog battle and all its soldiers will fall on these mountains right here, which they control now. That didn't happen until 1967. So I know we're not talking about Gog and Magog, which is another invasion of israel but understand this gog and magog invasion which is a russian iranian turkey libya sudan alliance and probably includes syria has to happen prior to the tribulation well they already have the mountains so all the conditions are being met for the gog and magog war that comes even prior to the tribulation a lot of things are happening It also presupposes the retaking of Jerusalem in 1967 for a future third temple. This is birth painting number four, by the way. And there's a lot of passages that talk about the rebuilding of a temple. What are you talking about? Well, the Temple Mount right now, as you know, is occupied by Muslims, and they have the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But eventually, what Scripture predicts is that a temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. We don't know how that comes about. Perhaps after the Psalm 83 invasion is over or the Russian and Iranian invasion of Gog and Magog has happened and most of the Muslim world has been wiped out because of those invasions, perhaps they can rebuild on there with the Antichrist. I'm not sure how that all flushes out. But again, the Bible just presupposes that Israel will have their temple. Well, am I just making this up? Is it real? Yeah, because you know what? They're preparing for it. I want you to see this video and to show you how real it is. Israel could get their temple up within 30 days, they say. That's how close they are. Now, they're not going to go do it now because they're going to start a holy war, but they have all the material, all the priests are being trained. That's how close we are. Look at this video, it's a couple minutes long, just to show you where they're at. What's the point there? They're ready. They have their architectural design. You just saw what the future third temple will look like. No joke, dude. That's how close we are. If they get access to the Temple Mount, that's what's going up. And that is the temple that the Antichrist desecrates. He goes in there and proclaims he's God and creates what we call the abomination of desolation. Now, as Christians you are not to support that temple. That is not a sanctioned temple by God. It's predicted in Isaiah 66 that they're going to make this for the tribulation, but it is off limits. It's not endorsed by God. The next temple that's endorsed by God is the temple that Messiah will build when he comes back. So don't give money to the Temple Mountain Institute. Don't do that. It's not sanctioned by God. You are in violation of Isaiah 66 if you do that. But I show you this to say, guys... Israel's back in the land. They're ready to build their temple. And you just saw the architectural designs for the third temple. No Christian's ever seen this in 2,000 years. No Christian. You're that close. You're that close. That's absolutely amazing. It also presupposes a few things of the Psalm 83 invasion. I talked about this and its aftermath. What the Psalm 83 invasion is... It's a pre-tribulational invasion of Israel by its surrounding neighbors. It's, Arab, it's an Arab invasion by its surrounding nations. And it uses the ancient words in the text of Psalm 83, but it includes, you know, obviously Hamas, Jordan, Hezbollah, Lebanon, Syria, parts of Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and all this, these neighboring countries. You're going to see one day attack Israel. Now, as you know, Trump has made a statement that the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. You are like, no duh, I get that. But no politician is willing to say that. I mean, the other politicians, even Bush, Clinton, even Obama, made those statements in their campaign, but they never made official statements. But Trump went ahead and made an official statement. Well, it's, it's inside of the whole Middle East, and they're going crazy over it. And I think eventually all this fever pitch is going to eventually... They're going to invade Israel and try to wipe them out from being a people, as Psalm 83 says. So that's building, and that's a precursor for this. And then after on the heels of this comes the Gog of Magog war, the birth pain number six. This is found in Ezekiel 38 and 39, like I talked about. What we're talking about here is prior to the Antichrist making a deal with Israel, and I want you to see these wars happening, is you'll have a non-Arab invasion, yet Islamic just like the first Psalm eighty three invasion, but this is non Arab and it's not bordering states, but it includes Russia, which will be the leader, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, Algeria, those and they will attack. And you have just been privileged. This happened in November this last month, that Aragon went and talked with Putin and they're working out deals. See turkey's part of nato they're they're supposed to be on our side and we're now watching turkey go over to russia and iran's side that's huge ezekiel predicted this alignment of nations 2500 years ago and no one's ever seen this happen and yet the very nations he said would be aligned are now hooked up and ready to invade israel what's the common denominator among all this simple it's islam Whether it's Psalm 83 or Gog and Magog, the same common denominator is Islam. And it seems like the whole world is set up to put Israel in the crosshairs. Okay, a couple more things. Presupposes that Israel's wasteland on their mountains have been rebuilt and resettled on a massive scale. Ezekiel predicts this in 38. This is what the land of Israel looked like in the 1800s or early 1900s. It's a wasteland, right? Look at the thing. Look at that. That's what Israel looked like before they came back in 1948. It is absolute wasteland. This is 1930. This is 10 years prior to Israel coming back into the land. And it was just like going to the moon. Let me show you Jerusalem early on. This is what it looked like before Israel came back into the land. Mark Twain went there in 1867, and he wrote the book Innocence Abroad. They called it a desolate country. He said whose soil is rich enough, but it's given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. It's funny that Mark Twain used the word desolation because that's exactly what the prophets predicted, that once Israel was out of the land because of their rejection of Messiah, the land would be desolate. And yet now they come back into the land. Now, now that they're in the land, even in unbelief, as God predicted, they would come back in unbelief Look at Israel today. Look at the vegetation. All that vegetation comes from drift systems and, and all the funneling the water from Mount Hermon into the Jordan. And the land you walk over there looks like the Garden of Eden. It's just flourishing. It's amazing. And then these are the settlements that they're fighting over. And you hear all about in the, in the news about all these settlements. These are the settlements they build. And it's their land. They're, and look, at they're on the mountains of Israel just as predicted in the Bible by Ezekiel. Look at Jerusalem compared to the picture I showed you before they got there. It's massive. You can see the Temple Mount right there in the corner, right? You see that? Right here. So this is the expanse of Jerusalem itself as the capital. It's massive, and just all these millions of people living there, flourishing. Again, there's the Temple Mount right there with the land around them. And this is what the Temple Mount looks like today from the Mount of Olives. So all these preconditions have to be in place. Israel must be a nation. They must have control of their mountains. They must eventually get control of Jerusalem, which they do, and eventually get control of the Temple Mount to rebuild their temple. Folks, we're living in that time where all the preconditions are set other than we see the Psalm 83, the Gog and Magog invasion, and then control of the Temple Mount. That's all that's left that's all so the table has been set it's amazing that we're living in this day and time it's the most exciting time to be a christian to see all this but yet most christians are asleep they're clueless about this they have no idea this is going on what what are you talking about all i ever hear is about just junk going on in the middle east i wish there would just be peace in the middle east come on it's more complicated than that it's spiritual let's go back to the text now i want to parse it out a little bit okay And it says, "'I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering to conquer.'" So let's parse this out. First thing we notice is the white, notice the Antichrist is symbolically arrayed in white, not literally, but figuratively in white. White symbolizes peace and security, a false shalom. That's how they greet each other in Israel, shalom. It means peace. The shalom of God is real. You have shalom of God. When you accept Messiah as your Lord and Savior, then you'll have peace with God, shalom with God. And then you can have peace on a horizontal shalom level with brothers and sisters in the Lord. But the Antichrist comes in with a false peace, a false shalom. And the key word, I want you to understand that, peace and security. Peace and security. Why is that important? 1945, guys, remember I mentioned at the onset, I talked about the UN. In 1945, the central mission that was put down, look at this, the central mission that was put down in writing, this is from their own words, the maintenance of international peace and security. I went to their website this week, pulled it right out. It's right there. Peace and security. Oh, I think I read that somewhere. You're right. You have heard it. Paul talked about it. But I want you to hear that I'm not making this up. This term, peace and security, is constantly being used. Even Trump uses the phrase. Listen to this video. This will blow you away. The borders of 1967 that will live in peace and security. The lesson of history is that peace and security do not come easily. Peace and stability uh, that uh, people on all sides long for. Two states for two peoples living side by side in peace and security is not a vague slogan, but a real necessary necessity for the stability in the entire region. Israel and Palestinians, they can live side by side in peace and security. This is our uh, vision and this is our uh, commitment. For a new deal, peace and security and friendship. and friendship, she's in you. My hopes and dreams for Israel are to live in peace, to live in peace and security. Two states living side by side in peace and security, true security for all Israelis, we will also pursue peace between Israel and Lebanon, peace and security, Israel and Syria, peace and security, and a broader peace between Israel and its many neighbors, must decide whether we are serious about peace and security, to recognize Israel's legitimacy and its right to exist in peace and security, that's how we will find new pathways to peace and security. That is the work that we must do. In peace and security. Peace and security and, and coexistence. A movement towards peace. If we have this triumph, economy, security, and peace, then peace can succeed. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. No one in the world sees it other than Bible-believing Christians. Peace and security, look at this. This will blow you away. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, right? For when they say, oh my goodness, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. What was he talking about? Let me give you the context. The Thessalonians were told that they had missed the rapture and were left behind. And they're, they're going into the tribulation. Some false teacher, some somebody had said that to them. So Paul's correcting him and said, you guys haven't been left behind. I'm going to tell you what. You're going to be raptured prior to it, but then the world is going to start saying this motto. And when they start saying it, and then the, the church is removed... They'll say we finally reach peace and security because the Antichrist will eventually give them this peace and security they've been looking for. And then he says sudden destruction is going to come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they won't escape. The tribulation will start. And it commences with this guy bringing in a false peace and security. They're saying it now. How close can you possibly be if they're saying the very words Paul said they would say? It's literal They say the words. I can't believe it. It blows me away. I'll walk away shaking my head, and these political leaders keep saying it. Even Netanyahu says it, which troubles me. Because the issue is Israel's going to cut a deal with this guy. Not good. A couple more things. The horse symbolizes conquering in war. So he rides a white horse, but he's coming to conquer is the idea The other thing is he carries a bow. A bow is an instrument of war, but it has no arrows. But it symbolizes a bloodless and peaceful conquest via deception instead of brute force. He rises, not through brute force, but through Daniel 8 to 25 talks about political intrigue. He cuts deals. He bankrupts people. It's very interesting when you read Daniel, he says he causes those who prospered basically to lose their money. The way he gains power is he causes people to collapse economically, and then he gets his positions of power. So he comes with a bow, threatening war, but he doesn't go to war, not yet at least. And the Antichrist then wears a crown, it's actually a Stephanus, not a diadem that Jesus wears, which is a victor's crown, but but not a royal crown, to symbolize his power and authority given to him from Satan. And you can see 2 Thessalonians talks about he has given this authority from Satan himself. It's satanic in nature. The next one is the Antichrist is an impostor of the Messiah. So notice that he comes riding in on a white horse. In Revelation 19, Messiah comes back on a white horse. So he's an impostor. He is called Antichrist, which means instead of Christ or besides Christ, He is impersonating Jesus. And you must understand this. We'll get into his his origins of how he came about, but he's going to have a counterfeit virgin birth. But the other side of him is satanic. Satan is his father. He's going to counterfeit the resurrection, and he's going to counterfeit the miracles Jesus did because he will have lying signs and wonders. So he's a counterfeit. And you think about the people of this world. If they're fooled by the world leaders today, not doing miracles or anything, wait till he's on the scene doing miracles. They'll fall right in line with him. So he's an imposter, but also understand he's allowed by God as a judgment to the world to give it what it wants, which that comes to our application. God is giving the world what it wants. You want him? Here he is. Here's the son of Satan. You didn't want my son Jesus? Fine. I'll take my church out of this world in the rapture, and I'll give you the Antichrist. Okay. But back to our secondary application to why in the world did Israel not see this? Why do they cut a deal with him? Well, let's talk about the application. If we put an inordinate amount of trust in the wrong people instead of God, then God will allow us to be burned by them. And boy howdy, he burns them. We'll get into this later on. The Antichrist turns on them after three and a half years in this covenant deal that they make and kills two-thirds of the Jews. Almost wipes them out. If it's not for the second coming and the remnant crying out for Jesus, no Israelite would ever be on the planet. He would wipe them out completely. So he turns on them. And God is showing Israel, do you see? Do you see what you did? You made a covenant with death, as Isaiah says, and it's going to turn around and it's going to kill you. It will kill you literally. Okay, I'm getting that, Brandon. Okay, so let's get into some hardcore application. You ready for this? It's not fun, but it's the application of all this. And it builds. What you learn from Israel, you will learn from a personal level. What leads them to make a deal with the Antichrist? Who in the world would make a deal with the devil? Well, the first thing that causes them to get into this is that their beliefs are wrong. That's the problem, the main problem with Israel. The reason they cannot see the Antichrist is because they don't believe the Scriptures. Well, I thought that the Jews have the Old Testament. They do. but And they read the Old Testament. But it's read through a filter of the rabbis. They don't see Isaiah 53 as referring to the Messiah. They see Isaiah 53 referring to them, that they're the suffering servant. So it's read through that lens, just like a Mormon reads the Bible through a lens, or a Jehovah's Witness reads the Bible through a lens. They read the same Bible, but they read it differently. They pour their different meanings into it. So the problem that Israel has goes all the way back to the Gospels, and Jesus' dealings with them, and they just believe incorrectly because of what the rabbis taught. And so he dismantled it, but that's still with them today. They suffer from the cult of the rabbis. Does that make sense? That's what's blinding them. So if you pointed them out to passages like Daniel 9.27, they don't see it the same way. Their filters are on. And that leads people to get into situations that are bad for them. Let me bring it to a personal level. If your beliefs in Christianity are wrong or you have a shallow understanding of biblical theology, you will hook up with the wrong people because you won't see it. You won't have the wisdom that God gives you. You won't have the discernment that the scriptures give. And hence, you'll be fooled by people constantly. And so the shallower your understanding, the more you can be fooled in this world. It says the God of this world has blinded you or people. Well, if you don't know your Bible... You will be blinded by Satan, and you'll cut deals and get into relationships that are bad for you and end up burning you. Something very basic. The second thing, in their belief system, in their cult of Judaism, they are performance-based in their approach to God. They're performance-based in their approach to God. What do you mean? Well, any works-based system is trying to work their way to heaven. By doing good works. Now, how does this factor into with the Antichrist? He lets them build their temple, which is forbidden by Isaiah 66. But why do they want to build a temple? Because the Jews are in a tight spot right now with God. They know in order to function correctly with Yahweh, at least under the Mosaic system, and they're still under the Mosaic system... They haven't realized that's been done away with. They haven't accepted the Messiah. They don't understand the new covenant's in effect. You have to go with it. They still believe they're in the Mosaic period, which is wrong. But under the Mosaic law, the way you function with God is what? You had to go to a temple and you had to have blood sacrifices. They haven't had blood sacrifices since 70 AD. And they know they're in a bind. So what do they do? What the rabbis have told the Jews to do is, well, we know you can't have blood sacrifice, so make up for it with good works. So that's why you'll see hospitals having donations from them and they build certain things and they're very generous in that aspect as far as philanthropy with their money because that's making up for bloodless sacrifices. So that's what they're doing. Well, now the antichrist comes on the scene cuts a deal and says hey man you want to perform for god i'll give you what you want i'll give you your temple so you can go back and start performing even more with god by your sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep so antichrist plays right into their performance-based mentality i get it okay but on a personal level how am i supposed to understand this On a personal level, the reason we get blinded to people is we become performance-based in our relationship with God as well. Oh, I know we're evangelicals and we understand it's only by faith alone that we're saved. But folks, hey, you and I know there's plenty of Christians that that get saved and they still are trying to perform for God. They're still works-based. And they do this as a front-to-front to to people and to front to God. So their relationship with God is based on performance when you're performing, the people who will be attracted to you or you'll be attracted to them are the people who allow you to keep performing. So if you meet somebody that doesn't allow you to perform, say, let's say a mature Christian says, Hey, you don't need to perform for me. I just need to know who you are. God just needs to know who you are. They don't relate to people that way. They relate to people on a front so they only want to be around people who will accept the front. But if you try to get past the front and try to really get to know them, they pull away. They don't like that kind of person. Hence, they can only get a type of person that's very shallow, that only doesn't want to go past the front, that really doesn't want to get to know them, that stays on a surface level and says, I'll give you your performance. You want to perform for me? Go right ahead. But what happens is they never really go deep in their relationships, and they never really know the person. All they know is the front, and that front is hiding something. And eventually what they're hiding comes out and kills them, destroys them. And so it plays right into this performance-based mentality. The third thing that happens with Israel is their reality has been distorted by personal trauma due to not having access to God's grace and mercy. The reason I told you about the wars prior to their deal signing with Antichrist, Gog and Magog, Psalm 83, and let's just go back a little further in our lifetimes, the Holocaust. That is major trauma, guys. It is major trauma to go through the situation that Israel went through in the Holocaust. It's messed up a lot of them. It really has. I remember being in Israel back in the late 90s, And we were at a hotel off the Sea of Galilee. And in the mornings, we'd go there to have breakfast. And uh, there's all this big buffet spread out. And and, uh, you'd go fill up your plates and whatnot and eat your breakfast before you went out touring. Anyway, we were getting breakfast. And every morning, we just kept noticing these people, and they were Jewish, going to the buffet and stuffing the food in their pockets Bread rolls, cheese, I mean, you name it, putting things in their purses and and stuff like that. And we're like, man, that's crazy. What is, what's happening here? So one of the people in our, in, our, in our group went and told the manager of the hotel and said, hey, you got all these people stealing the buffet food. They're just stuffing it in their pockets. And he goes, don't worry about it. It's Shoah. And we didn't know what he was talking about, but Shoah is another word for holocaust. He goes, they're Holocaust survivors. He goes, they were so traumatized. Anytime they're around food, they think think it's going to be their last meal. And they're just stuffing their pockets, thinking that's the last meal. That's how traumatized they were from, from being starved out in the concentration camps. So he goes, in Israel, we let them go ahead and take the food because they're so traumatized. Like, oh, gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Israel is still traumatized. And they will be continued to be traumatized. And when people are traumatized, they can't think straight. They'll do anything for security. They can't see that the world is safe anymore, that everyone's against them, and the world is. And so their traumatization causes them blindness. It's very scary. Very scary. The number four is their pride. Daniel says the point of the tribulation is to break their pride. As I told you, Israel makes incredible inventions. Most of the things you're using right now come out of Israel. They're inventing these things. And we owe a lot to them, even in an unbelief state. But what does that do? If you don't see that God has blessed you with those gifts, what you'll do is you'll take those and think it's your own. And you'll, you won't see them as gifts from God. You'll see, oh, they, we did this. And this is, this is really important to understand because this happens to their military. Their military is second to us. Extremely good. Extremely good. And they have won wars being outgunned, outmanned, thousands to one. Six-day war, 1948, 1973, Yom Kippur War. They totally dismantled people on their own, basically. We, We supplied them weapons a lot of times, but they were brilliant military strategists. Brilliant. That causes pride That causes, I can do this. We can do this without God. And that's the situation they're going to be put in. That blinds them to the Antichrist. And it will blind us. If we have pride, it will blind you. And you say, hey, I'm going to go do a business deal with this guy. He seems like a nice guy. I really like him. And if your pride is in it, you won't see his faults. You'll be blinded to it. And then you'll get a deal, a business deal with a guy you shouldn't be involved in. That happens because of pride. Let's go to a couple more and we'll finish. They do not want to be isolated. Zechariah predicts that all nations will be against Israel, including us eventually. So the isolation that Israel will feel from all of what they go through, they'll desire somebody on their team. Check this out. This will blow you away. The way it all works out, the church right now is turning on Israel. Like 70% of the church is replacement theology. Don't see any point of Israel. 70% of the church is replacement theology. As the church is going anti Israel, when the Antichrist gets on the scene, he will be pro Israel. Now, is that not ironic? That blows me away. That he will be their best friend. He will come to their rescue and say, I know the United States turned their back on you, and I know all the nations have turned your back, but I won't. I'm your buddy. I'm your pal. I'm for you, man. Just cut a deal with me, and you'll be okay because everyone else has isolated you. Oh, my goodness. You see how they're set up? You can even bring this to an individual level. When someone is lonely... And they're dating; they're on dangerous ground. They'll get on that E Harmony and they'll hook up with the best thing that comes out, and before you know it, they're dealing with somebody they shouldn't be dealing with. I go back in my previous position at a, my other church I was at. We had a gal lost her husband. She was probably in her fifties, I would say, and uh, she's lonely. And I get it. I, I get loneliness. And that, that everyone feels that. But she was lonely. And, she, you know, she lost her spouse and everything. It wasn't six months later. She's on eHarmony, finds this guy, like sees him like three times because he lives across the country. And within like three months, she's married. I was in a staff meeting and I said, Where's so and so? And he says, Oh, she's down at the courthouse getting married. I said, What? She's down at the courthouse getting married? What are you talking about? Yeah, some dude she met on the internet. Hey, what happened? She hooks up with some dude on the internet, and then we, we run a background check on the old oh boy. He's got aliases all over the United States. He's got uh, violations in this state and that state and that state. The dude who wasn't who he was. Hey, if you're single, it's better to be lonely than married and miserable. I'm going to tell you that right now. A lot of mistakes been made. By people's loneliness, and they just, I'm gonna, they get desperate, and they're like, I, I, I can't deal with being lonely, so I'm gonna hook up. Or then, even when they're younger, on the dating scene, and they get older and older, and like, man, I should be married by now. I should be married by now. I need to be having kids by now. I need to be having kids. And then, like, they start getting desperate, and their friends start getting married. Everybody's married, and guess what? I'll, I'll take you. Let's get married. They want to be like everyone else, and then they get married, and then you find out they married someone they shouldn't be marrying because they made a decision because of loneliness or pressure from the outside or whatever. I've seen it hundreds of times, guys. But the same thing that happens to a personal, that's what Israel will do. They're lonely. They're isolated by all nations. Hey, this guy's for me. I don't care if the guy has his wings on his back and, and he's of the devil. We'll take him because at least he's for me. You see what I'm saying? That's the problem they get into. They have an identity confusion. Israel doesn't know who they are at this point in time. They're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That doesn't even on the radar. They don't know who they are. If you don't know who you are in Scripture, then you will fall for anybody if you don't know who you are. And that's that's them. Lastly, they want worldly security. Isaiah 28 15 says they get into this covenant to escape. The overflowing scourge. I don't know what that means. Overflowing scourge could could refer to another war, another invasion. Maybe they're just tired of being invaded by Psalm 83 and Gog Magog. I don't know. But they're tired of, of some overflowing scourge and they want to protect themselves. So they hook up with him for worldly security instead of going to God and Messiah. And folks, I see this all the time too. People hook up with people in relationships because the person gives them security. That's all. It's not love. Far be it. That's not why a lot of people get married. You have to understand that. A lot of people are getting married because of security. They want security. You're like, really? Yeah, yeah, that's that's real. This fantasy world that we hope it's love, but a lot of times it doesn't turn out to be love. It's it's someone wants security. That's what it comes down to. They're lonely. They don't want to be alone. They want want some financial pressure relieved. Okay, I'll hook up with you. You're the next best thing. You're my only hope. I'll get involved with you. That's what Israel does on a corporate level, but that's what we do on an individual level. And I'll end with this. Jesus said something very cryptic to Israel when he was there. Because I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, in reference to the Antichrist, him you will receive. Oh, my land. Israel rejected the truth of Scriptures, and they continue today, and it's setting them up to receive the Antichrist, who will kill them. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Don't do what Israel does. Don't do what Israel will do. What's the basic premise? Trust Jesus. Trust what He says in His Word, and you won't be burned. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.